Do you love ice cream like I do? Well, according to YouGov.com, the most popular ice cream flavors among Americans are chocolate and vanilla. Chocolate, 17% of 20,000 Americans rate chocolate number one. Vanilla, 15%. And the rest in order are strawberry, mint chocolate chip, butter pecan, chocolate chip cookie dough, cookies and cream, Rocky Road, coffee, chocolate chip, pistachio, Neapolitan, and birthday cake, cake batter. So what does ice cream have to do about excelling in high school and going to college? Everything. I'm going to connect the dots for you between Baskin Robbins 31 flavors and what you can learn from them on how to succeed in high school and college and have a great, happy life. So let's pretend we're in 31 Flavors ice cream shop or any ice cream shop. Maybe you like Ben and Jerry's. Maybe you like JP Licks. Maybe you like something else. But when you walk into an ice cream shop, just like me, you're probably pretty happy. I know when I go, I look at everybody else and whether it doesn't matter what age they are, they can be in their 60s, 70s, 50s, 40s. Everybody looks like a kid because they're so happy to be at the ice cream store. Now, when you finally get to the front of the line and the person asks you, what would you like? Could you imagine how silly it would be if you had said, I don't know? Well, some people say that, oh, I don't really know. Well, let, let, me, let me try some samples. That's fine. But what if you really didn't know and you just couldn't pick an ice cream and just walked out of the store? That would be pretty silly, right? Well, that's kind of like going through school and not knowing what you want, even after you've graduated high school or graduated college. Now, you know that you like chocolate ice cream. How? Because you've tried chocolate ice cream before and you liked it. So that's how you know. So let's connect the dots. Most people don't know what they want to major in. When I ask most high school students what they want to do, they don't know. When I ask them what school they want to go to, a lot of them don't know. When I ask college students when they're in their first and second year what they want to major in, a lot of them don't know because they really have to pick your major. It starts like what your third and uh, third year of college. Some people pick a major, change a major, pick a major, change a major. They're all over the place. And they get into a panic because now their junior year in college is coming up and they pick something and they graduate and they have buyer's remorse. I picked the wrong major. I got the wrong job and I'm not happy. Well, let's go back to Baskin Robbins. They had a very creative approach as far as how they approach their customers. They came up with the sampling system, letting people taste the different flavors of ice cream with simple single-use plastic spoons until they found the flavor that they wanted. Now, a lot of kids, high school and college, they pick majors, but they're really not sampling like you would in an ice cream store. They might pick, pick a major because, oh, I wanna be an engineer, why? Oh, well, because I hear the engineers have really safe jobs and there'll always be a job for me for the rest of my life. Or I'm going to be a computer programmer. Why? Well, because my uncle's friend's friend works at PayPal 
and he's a software programmer and they're making $260,000 a year. And so that's why I want to pick that job. Or I want to be pre-med. Well, why do you want to pre-med? Well, because it sounds really impressive and I want to show off that maybe I want to be a doctor, but I know that I really don't want to go through all those math classes and biology classes, but it sounds really cool that I'm pre-med. Or you know what? I want to be pre-law because that makes me sound really cool. I'm pre-law, I'm pre-med, blah, 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 blah. So why are people picking these majors? Because it sounds cool, because they heard that if you get this job, you have security for life, or you're going to make so much money. That's like choosing an ice cream without sampling the ice cream. It's like you're looking at the ice cream and say, well, that one looks kind of good. I think I'll try that. But you never really sample the ice cream. Well, people aren't even looking at the ice cream. They're just hearing about the ice cream and thinking, well, maybe I want to do this or maybe I want to do that. Or my parents want me to do this. Or this sounds really, this seems like a really prestigious type of profession. So I think I'm going to pick that. And it's it's silly. And it's it's not silly not to know what you want to do. That's That's what your life's purpose is to do. It's to find out what it is that you really, really want to do. Now, I'll tell you a little story. So 2000, I was looking at the front cover of the American Bar Association Journal. So this is a monthly magazine that's printed out for lawyers, and it's distributed across the United States, or at least back then it was distributed in a magazine paper format. Well, I read the front story article, which really shocked me. And what it said was that 43%, 43, 44% of lawyers that worked at the top 100 law firms in the country, after the first year, they quit. And I was blown away with that statistic because if you're going to be working at one of the top 100 law firms in the country, you are most likely going to have to have gone to a top law school, have done exceptionally well. Most of these people dream about going to these top 100 law firms or top 10 or top 20, top 25, whatever it is, this was their life dream. They studied like crazy in high school. They studied like crazy in college. Then they went to law school for another three years. So they're finally here. They finally made it at the top of the mountain. And after their first year, they're miserable and they quit. And the answer, and the question is, why? Why are these people that have spent seven years in college and law school quitting after their first year? Did they just make a mistake and pick the wrong major? Did they choose an ice cream without sampling it to see if they liked it? Did they ask questions? Did they do internships? Did they go interview people that were already working in these top 100 law firms to see if this was what they were going to like? Probably not. I knew I wanted to be a lawyer when I was six years old because a Porsche drove by us at about 120 miles an hour. And my dad said, when I said, who drives, who drives those cars? He said, lawyers. And so I said, I want to be a lawyer. I didn't do any, any investigation to find out what lawyers did. I had no idea what lawyers did. They could have been cutting trees for all I knew. I had no idea. And I didn't do any investigation to see exactly what they did or if I was even going to like it. I chose the flavor of ice cream that I wanted for my career without asking questions 
and without doing investigation. So how many of those 43, 44% of lawyers that went to the top schools, there were top students, how many of them looked closely or did their investigation to see what life was going to be like at these 100 law firms only to quit one year later? How many? I bet you probably 95% never even really looked into it. Because if they did, these are smart people. Why would they quit after one year? Obviously, there's something that was missing for them that they only discovered after they got in and discovered it's too late. How many of you are scared to death about going to the wrong college or picking the wrong major or picking the wrong profession or the wrong job? Do you really want to go through four years of college or two or three years of grad school and get some miserable job only to find out I don't like this job? That's like trying ice cream and say, I want that ice cream. And they give it to you and you're like, oh, I don't like the flavor of licorice ice cream if there's such a thing. It would be ridiculous. That's why Baskin Robbins has different flavors and samples so you can go sample and see what you like. Now, it turned out from the article that I read about the lawyers, why did 43, 40% drop out? Well, the reason had nothing to do with money because the first years at that time started out at $160,000 a year. Well, back in 2000, $160,000 a year to start for your first year was an obscene amount of money. In today's money, I don't know what that would be, $300,000 maybe to start, $400,000. It was a lot. So they were getting the money. So what was it? Well, according to the article, the number one reason why people dropped out was because they weren't getting the mentorship. They were doing brain-dead activity. They weren't ever meeting clients. They weren't ever going to court. They really weren't given anything that was meaningful or important. It was just drudgery work. Imagine going to top schools, graduating at the top of your class, and you're just being given brain-dead work where you really don't have to think, and you're going through boxes and boxes of documents. And you start realizing, I'm not learning anything. And the people that are supposed to mentor me, the partners, they're too busy working on billable hours and attracting clients. They don't have any time to teach you anything. It's not a school where you show up and they're going to teach you. You just show up and they're just going to make you do boring, grudging, billable hours, at least for your first year. And these uh, lawyers, these lawyers decided... I don't want this. This is a terrible life. So then they try another firm and then another firm and another firm. And then they start trying to chase it down. And some realize, wow, I picked the wrong profession. I wish I had never been a lawyer. I read some of that where people went in and said, I'm going to start my own flower shop. I'm going to go into the wedding business. And people picked a profession only to find out that they didn't like it. You know, when I probably got to college, um, I knew that I wanted to be a lawyer, and again, I really didn't know what that entailed. But if you asked me what I really wanted to do, I would have told you, even before I got to college, you know what I want to do is I want to spend my time with people who are, are exciting, ambitious, interesting, thoughtful, and helpful. Like no matter what it is that I'm actually doing, whatever job or whatever profession or industry that I'm in, these are the people 
that I would want to be around. Whether they're college students or colleagues at work, I want to be around exciting, ambitious, interesting, thoughtful, and helpful people and smart people. I wanted to be around people that were going to challenge me. And what I found was, did I find that in the legal profession? No, I definitely didn't find it there. I'm in litigation. It's an adversarial competitive world. And a lot of the lawyers that I hired, so I never worked for somebody else as a lawyer. I've always worked for myself and I've I've hired other people to work for me. And it was really disappointing to find out that so many people that I've hired as lawyers had no interest in learning. They Once they passed that bar exam, they started to believe that they're somebody and that they didn't have to learn anymore and they didn't have to have any more textbooks. And they just started to believe that that license was enough. And it wasn't. And there wasn't anything particularly interesting about these people because they didn't want to learn. And to me, learning is interesting. There wasn't anything about them that was ambitious. They just wanted to be average and had no desire to be above average or or to win. There wasn't anything exciting about them. Um, and I didn't particularly find them to be helpful. It was just a job that they showed up to and they wanted to to leave. And I was like, this isn't what I signed up for. These are not this, this is not my tribe. These are not the people I want to be around. Now, right now, I have a lawyer that's working for me, and it's exciting working for him, and he's ambitious. And the, the thing that makes him more valuable and unique than any lawyer that I've ever hired is, first and foremost, he is a student. He wants to learn. He wants feedback. You give a lawyer feedback, they get super butthurt. They get super defensive because they have these huge egos. And when you take their paper and write red ink all over it with all these changes, they get offended, they don't like it, and they get super upset about it. But if you want to be, if you want to win, and we're always writing, it's it's competitive writing contest. Imagine entering a writing contest. There's only going to be one winner, right? Well, when we're in court and you're having to, to go into a battle based on paper, the judge is going to pick pick a winner. And if you want to win, you need people to be looking at your work, questioning it, challenging it, revising it. You can't be thinking about, oh, I'm going to hurt this person's feelings because you leave something out, the other side's going to find loopholes in your papers. The judges, your adversary, and you know that's not how winning's done. If the best writers are the ones that rewrite over and over and over again. And so, you know, with with my uh, attorney that works for me, he he wants that feedback. He needs it. He requests it all the time. He looks at my papers. I look at his paper. And because we, we both share that love of learning, that's what makes it interesting. And that's what makes it fun to be working with somebody that wants to learn. So let's connect the dots back for you. You're in high school right now, or you're at the beginning of college. Um, and you might be saying, what is it that I want to do for a living? Uh, what college do I want to go to? If you're still in high school, what major am I going to pick? Well, I would start having you ask different questions, just like you would if you were at Baskin Robbins 31 Flavors, right? Ask yourself, um, you know, what do I want? What do I like? Uh, for example, maybe you like to read. Maybe you like to write. Maybe you like to socialize. Maybe you like to play music. Maybe you just like to have fun and party. Uh, what makes you happy? 
And whatever it is that makes you happy, do that. And some people say, well, why do you like that? You know, why do you want to do that? Well, if you like it, you like it. Like my girlfriend was driving me crazy. She's like, well, why do you, why don't you like this kind of food? I'm like, what do you mean? I don't like it. That's like asking somebody, why do you like chocolate ice cream? Or why do you not like that flavor? It's like, you either like it or you don't. And there, you don't want to overcomplicate college or what you want to do for a living. It's as simple as choosing ice cream. You want to sample things and you want to try it and see if you like it. And if you don't like it, pick something else. Find out what you're good at. Generally, if you're good at something, the chances are you're good at it because you like it. And that's what you want to keep doing. Now, in an earlier podcast, I briefly talked about Steve Jobs. He gave a commencement speech at Stanford University in 2005. 100% go to YouTube and watch the commencement speech. It's about 14 minutes. Now, I want to talk about his speech, and I want to give my analysis, and I want to connect the dots about what he's saying and how you can apply it to your life. So his speech, he breaks it into three different stories about his life that he talks about. So let's start with the first story and break it down. They're not really necessarily related, but there's just three points or three stories that he wanted to do. Now, what I like what he said, he's like, all right, let's talk about the first story. Well, the first story he called Connecting the Dots. Now, I'm a big fan of connecting the dots. When I was a kid, we never had, I never had my mom buy those books where you can play and connect the dots. Because if I had that, I would do that all day long. And I think when we went to like the doctor's office or the dentist's office, they would have those books for connect the dots. And I loved it. I just thought it was the coolest and it was the funnest game around. So when I saw this about Steve Jobs talking about connecting the dots, I got, I got really, got really interested. So what Steve Jobs talks about is he says that he dropped out of Reed College. It's spelled R-E-E-D. He dropped out after the first six months, but he stayed around as a, quote, drop-in for another 18 months before he really quit college. So why did Steve Jobs drop out of college? I mean, he never graduated college. He's a multi-billionaire. A lot of people probably don't even realize that Steve Jobs didn't even graduate college. Well, Steve Jobs says that the reason why he dropped out, it started before he was born. Crazy for him to say that. So why is he saying this? Well, because his biological mother, she was a young, unwed graduate student. And she decided to put Steve Jobs up for adoption before he was born. Now, his biological mom felt very strongly that Steve should be adopted by college graduates. She was a graduate student, and she felt strongly that he needed to have college graduate parents as well. Now, it was all set up, and Steve Jobs was going to be adopted by a lawyer and the lawyer's wife. But when Steve was born, the lawyer and his wife they really wanted a girl and they didn't want a boy. So they rejected Steve Jobs. They didn't want him as their son. Now, the adoptive parents that Steve Jobs ended up getting, they got a call and they said, hey, we got an unexpected baby boy here. Do you want him? And his parents were like, yeah, you know, we want him. Now, about Steve Jobs' adoptive parents, they never graduated from college. And his father never graduated from high school. 
that's kind of similar to me. My mom, she didn't go to college. She has a high school degree. And my dad didn't even go to high school. He uh, went to school till the sixth grade. And then he went to work like what age right after that, right? He's, he goes straight to work. So it's kind of share that in common with Steve Jobs. Now, when Steve's biological mother found out about the education level, um, she refused to sign the adoption papers because she believed, well, if these kids, if these parents don't value school, then I don't want that for, for Steve. So she's like, I'm not going to sign the adoption papers. But she changed her mind because the adoptive parents promised that he's going to go to college. It's a kind of a big deal. The parents didn't go to college, but they're promising we're going to make sure that Steve goes to college. And that, you know, that was the start of Steve Jobs' life. He didn't start in pole position. Now that's the racing term. Pole position is the starters, they start right at the very front and have all these other riders behind them. The pole position people have the biggest advantage because they're they're on the front and everybody has to pass them. So Steve Jobs wasn't in the pole position. Kind of reminds me of um, Tom Brady getting drafted 199. He had a setback. So how many of you have got off to a challenging start just like Steve Jobs right before he was born, right when he was born, and nobody wanted him? Do you feel like you're, that, that you grew up in the wrong neighborhood? Do you feel that you don't have enough money? You're not in the right school systems? You don't have the right parents? You don't have the right teachers? You don't have the right everything. Maybe you don't even have your biological parents anymore. Maybe you've had some loss. Or maybe you have your parents, but you just feel rejected or unsupported by your parents. When Steve Jobs was born, it was up, it was up in the air where he was going to end up. The parents that were supposed to adopt him, the lawyer, didn't want him. And then he ended up going with parents that didn't even go to college. Imagine starting out your life like that. For us that have parents that want us at the very beginning, we take that for granted. But for Steve Jobs, that wasn't the case. Now, Steve Jobs, he did go to Reed College. And he says he naively chose Reed College because it was almost as expensive as Stanford. Now, think about this. Steve Jobs is given this commencement speech to Stanford, one of the most prestigious universities in the world, and he dropped out of college. That right there is amazing, that Stanford is having a college dropout come out and speak to their college graduates because he had something valuable to say. Um, I wish I could ask him, it's like, did you have any insecurities about being in front of the Stanford graduates and you're up there giving a commencement speech and you didn't even graduate from college. Like, I, I would I would love to have asked him that question and just say, you know, how did he feel about that? Did he have even the slightest bit of insecurity? Um, now, he really shouldn't have any kind of insecurity because look at what he accomplished in his life and all the money he made and he followed his passion. But there are a lot of people that feel that in order to have some kind of value or status that you have to go to college and that these degrees are going to make you who you are. And um, you know, I, I just think that that's a false belief, but unfortunately, people believe that. Now, what Steve discovered was that all of his working class parent savings was being spent on his college tuition. So these, these par adoptive parents saved their money their whole life 
to pay for his college, and he sees all their savings are being spent and it's dwindling. So after six months, being the smart guy that he is, he couldn't see the value in college anymore. He couldn't see the value of what he was getting at the expense of depleting his parents' life savings. So he's, here he is spending all the money, and so he just decided, I'm out. I'm dropping out. But And he had no idea what he wanted to do with his life, and he had no idea how college was going to help him figure it out. So how many of you feel like you have no idea what you want to do with your life? How many of you feel like you have no idea what college you want to go to, or even if college is the right choice for you? I know for me, I wanted to be a lawyer when I was six, but again, I didn't even know if I was going to like it. Now, Steve goes on to say that it was pretty scary at the time to drop out of college, but looking back at things, he said it was one of the best decisions that he ever made. Now, what's interesting about that was people in the crowd started laughing, and Steve wasn't laughing. He wasn't saying it as a joke. When he said it was one of the best decisions he ever made, he meant it. But the Stanford crowd, going to one of the most prestigious universities, they thought, oh, yeah, yeah, right, that's really funny, that's really funny. Um, I really don't know why they were laughing, because for them, going to Stanford was probably the best decision that they ever made in their life. And they bought into that, they've graduated, and they're looking to go to the best jobs that are out there. And I think they were laughing because they probably really couldn't relate to where Steve Jobs was, was coming from as far as why it was one of the best decisions in his life. At, le- at least that's that's how I look at it because I, Steve wasn't joking around. He wasn't trying to be funny. Um, and I just feel that a lot of times people that go to these top schools, they just become disconnected from everybody else. And some of them think they're better than other people, which is just not true. And I just think it was hard for them to relate to Steve, who went on a different path. Now, Steve talks about that he didn't even have a dorm room. He slept on the floor in his friends' rooms. And, you know, for me, I never even had my own room all the way through high school. I had three older sisters, and I slept on the couch for the first two years while I was in college. So I could, you know, I wasn't sleeping on the floor like Steve, but I know what it's like not to have money and to go through the struggle. And Steve talks about that he returned Coke bottles for the five cent deposits that you get. You get five cents back by recycling Coke bottles so he could buy food. I started thinking like, how many times was I looking under the floor mats in my car for loose change to buy something to eat? Like Jack in the Box, you can get three tacos for a dollar. I remember I had like a dollar and I go to Jack in the Box. I'm like, oh God, I get to eat these three tacos. And Steve goes on to talk about that he walked seven miles to get one good meal a week at a local church temple. So he'd get a free meal. That started reminding me when I was in law school and I was struggling with, with money, I um, it, it was hard. And um, I remember I I would walk seven miles to school because I didn't even have gas to put into my car. And I'm going to University of San Diego, which is a private school. There's a lot of money there. There's a lot of privileged kids that are going. And I'm thinking, I'm probably the only guy going to this school that doesn't have money to put gas in his car. And I'm having to walk to school because of it. And to support myself, I was in school. 
I had a minimum wage job making like $6.25 an hour, and I didn't have gas to go to work, and I had to have one of my friends pick me up just to go to work, and they had like a promo that day that if you had so many sales, you would get $10, and I worked, put in like a 10 or 12-hour day to get the quota to get those $10, and that $10 to me was like huge. It meant that I had gas in my car, and I could drive to work, but I still walked to school because I didn't want to waste the gas. And the idea for Steve Jobs to turn in five-cent Coke bottles to buy food, like on campus, I started to see like there are people out there that are really privileged and lucky, and they don't really appreciate it. And at University of San Diego, they had this cafeteria. And for like $1,500 for the semester, so this is like 1996 of law school, but it's also for the undergrads, you pay $1,500, and you have all-you-can-eat food, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and they had everything. They had multiple chefs. The food was incredible. If you go there for breakfast, they would have eggs and oatmeal and pancakes and French toast and grapefruit juice and milk and orange juice, like everything you could possibly imagine, like going to some of the top restaurants, an unlimited variety of food, and you can go back and eat as much as you wanted. And I'm looking at this situation and I'm like, when I was an undergrad, I was like starving. I was going hours and hours without food because I didn't have money to buy it. And I'm sitting there studying for five, six hours or whatever with no food. And I'm like, wow, I wish I had, I had the money to go to a school like this for undergrad and have all this food and resources. And I just see all these kids coming in. I'm like, do they really appreciate what they have? Because it just looked like they had all grown up with a silver silver spoon in their mouths and that they're entitled to it. Whereas like when I'm going there, like I am appreciating every single meal. And I always, I always looked forward to it. Like my first, my first year, um, I wasn't struggling. I wasn't struggling with money. But after I got a girlfriend during my first year, I started struggling because she then wanted to move into like this really expensive apartment, which I really couldn't afford. Then I had to get a job and it was just like a big mess. But while I had that life of unlimited food whenever I wanted, it was awesome because once you know my second and third year came and it's like I didn't have money and I'm going to school and struggling, I would walk by some of these restaurants like a salad buffet, all you can eat. And I wanted to go in there so badly. And I started looking at these places like that's where rich people get to go. Rich people get to go in there and have all the food that they want. And I remember being, when I was younger, my, my friend, one of my best high school friends, I'd love going to his house because he would have like fruit punch and he had a refrigerator just full of of sodas, like 10 different types of sodas. And I was like, man, to have punch and sodas, you've got, you were rich in my mind just to have these things. So I equated having, you know, food resources as you're rich if you have these things. So when I hear Steve Jobs saying he's returning Coke bottles for five cents just to eat, it's like, yeah, yeah, I get it, right? I, I get that struggle. So um, Steve Jobs starts talking about that he followed his curiosity and he followed his intuition, which turned out to be priceless later on. Later on, So people talk about follow your passion, follow what you love. Well, for Steve, he followed his curiosity and intuition. So let's talk about that. So Reed College had the best calligraphy instruction in the United States. And because he dropped out and he didn't have to take the normal Ricard classes, instead he took a calligraphy class. Why? Because he would see the posters on campus and they were written in this beautiful 
calligraphy handwriting. He thought it was beautiful. So he's like, I'll take a calligraphy class. And he started learning about serif and sans serif typefaces. He starts learning about the varying, uh, varying the amount of space between different letter combinations, about what makes great topography great. He found topography to be beautiful, historical, artistically subtle. He said in a way that science just can't capture. He said he found topography and calligraphy to be fascinating. And he said none of it had any hope of any practical application in his life. He didn't see how he's going to apply it in the real world. But 10 years later, when they were designing the first Macintosh computer, it all came back to Steve Jobs. The, the Mac was the first computer with beautiful topography. He said if he never dropped in on that calligraphy course, the Mac wouldn't have multiple typefaces or proportionally spaced fonts. Now, why did I spend a lot of time talking to you about typefaces and topography? Well, in 1991, when I was starting my fourth year of college, I got into topography because I wanted to publish a magazine. Well, publishing a magazine in 1991 was like crazy because the computers were super expensive and I had to learn about topography. And I just agreed with Steve Jobs, right? I found it to be incredibly interesting. I was fascinated by it. I found beauty in it. I thought it was so cool about, you know, varying the space between letters and I'm reading books on topography and I don't have a creative bone in my body. I can't, if I try to draw a cow, it wouldn't look like any animal. Like I'm not an artist at all, but I could look at something and I can copy it. I could look at a design and through desktop publishing, I could use tools um, to do the same thing. And so I was able to discover something that I otherwise wouldn't just because I wanted to publish a magazine. And so I understand what Steve was talking about. I'm so lucky that I had that desire to want to publish a magazine. I never get it off the ground. And you could kind of look at it as a failure. But for me, it was a huge success because I got introduced to a world that I otherwise never would have looked at. I got this tremendous skill set on the computer, skills that I still use to this day that I, I don't think I would have had. Um, my dad bought me a Mac in 1991, and I didn't even know how to use it. I had to go through the manual. It took me about five or 10 minutes to figure out what button to push to turn on the computer. It happened to be on my keyboard, but I didn't know uh, how to do it. And so here I was in my quite, what fourth year of college, and I didn't know how to use computers. I took a computer class in the 12th grade of high school, but that was like 1988. It was like DOS. I didn't learn anything. All I knew about computers was, well, there's like a CPU and we played the Oregon Trail, but I didn't use any software programs. I didn't know what to do. And I kind of built up this insecurity around it because when I go to the library, they would have some computers, they'd have Macs, they'd have PCs. And I would see people looking at these computers and like using a mouse like for the Mac. And I didn't, they didn't have the mice for the PC back then. It was still in DOS. And I was like, wow, they look so smart. How do they know what they're doing? And I went up to some guy, and I was like, how do you know what to do? Like, And he was just like, oh, it's really easy. You do this, that, and the other. But it didn't look easy to me. And even though I was doing really well in college, I was intimidated to use computers because everybody looked smart, 
when I, from afar as I'm watching them on the computer. And I was like, I don't think I'm going to be able to learn computers. I don't think I'm going to be able to do what they're doing. Um, and it made me, it, it made me insecure. But when I, when my dad bought me this Mac and I start trying to do this magazine and, and I'm just start reading books, you know, 300 page books, 400 page books. I'm reading the manual on Photoshop and Microsoft Word and topography and desktop publishing. And, and I'm reading all these things and I started to get a skill set. And so when I actually went out to just get some uh, temp jobs in LA, I remember going to, to, I think it was Arthur Anderson at the time, a big, big accounting firm. And I was in uh, the HR department and there was a guy there and he was whatever status and administrative stuff. And I saw him doing something and I was like, oh, you don't have to do it like that. You can save a ton of time. Here's what you got to do. And so I went into, I think it was Microsoft Word or whatever, and I did a mail merge. Well, to do a mail merge on Microsoft Word in like 1992, 93, it, it, you actually had to write some code, right? It's not like mail merge now where you just like click mail merge. It didn't work like that. You had to type in some code. It's like computer programming. You need to know what the code was. But I knew how to do that because I'd done it so many times at home and I didn't think anything of it. And when I did it there at work, this the, the, he looked at me like I was from Mars because he couldn't understand, like, how did he do that? I spent so much time to, to do what I'm doing. And this guy just comes in and a snap and a finger. It was like magic. And he was just looking down on me because I was just temping. So to, in his eyes, I was like nobody. And he's somebody because he's got some title job. But I, I wasn't insecure about it. I knew where I was going as far as where my, where my schooling was. Um, but he's definitely was looking down at me and wondering, like, how did I get this skill set? So I went from being insecure about using computers, thinking it was only for smart people, even though I was smart because getting great grades in college, but it was a different kind of smart that I didn't think I had, to now I'm going into the business world and taking the skill sets that I learned at home that nobody taught me and then just blowing people away that think they're somebody, right? So Steve Jobs said, goes, we'll go on with the Steve Jobs story. He says that if he had never dropped out of college, um, he never would have dropped in on that calligraphy class. I like how he plays with the words of dropping out and dropping in. He's dropping out of college, but he's dropping in to a calligraphy class, meaning another opportunity. So some people look at setbacks as failure. A setback is not a setback. It's a setup. It's a setup for something bigger and better. In other words, dropping one interest for another interest doesn't make you a dropout. It makes you a drop in into something better. So when you are in the wrong relationship, there's no room for the right person to come into your life. When you pursue the wrong college major, there's no room for the right major to come into your life. So here's Steve Jobs' strategy for picking the right things. He says you have to trust in something whether that's your gut, destiny, karma, whatever it is, trust in something. And he says, you can't connect the dots. There's that phrase of connecting the dots. You can't connect the dots going forward, meaning you can't predict what the future is to connect the dots. He says, you can only connect the dots going backwards. So he connected the dots going backwards and saying, wow, now I know why taking that topography or calligraphy class 
was important because now I'm bringing the beauty from what I learned back then into the Mac with proportional fonts and into everything that they do with, with the iPhone and the beauty and the laptops and all of it. It's because Steve Jobs became obsessed with beauty, art, and form. So he was able to connect the dots going back in time, but he couldn't connect the dots going forward because he's like, I don't see how this is going to apply, but he knew that he liked it. It was his curiosity and love for what he saw that attracted him to take the topography class. He wasn't taking it because somebody said, oh, I'm going to make $100,000 a year if I, if I do topography. He did it because he liked it. I choose chocolate ice cream because I like it. He chose to stay in that class because he liked it. So whatever it is that you're going to choose, go try and sample it to see if you like it. Because if you pick the wrong major, you're leaving out the room for the right major and the right opportunity to come into your life. And Steve says that believing that the dots will connect down the road in the future will give you confidence to follow your heart even when it leads you off the well-worn path. Now, in another a podcast, I'll talk to you about how I got off the well-worn path. After I graduated college, I took four years off. Did I intend to take four years off before I went to law school? No way. I was, in fact, trying to graduate college early. I went to summer school every single year. I could have graduated three and a half years uh, in college, but I took a semester off to you know, try to start that that magazine. But even though I was off that path, I knew that down the road, I knew where I was going. I knew that I could do whatever it is that I wanted to do. I had the confidence in myself and in my ability that I knew I could get back on the right path whenever it is that I wanted to get on that path. And when I was going from temp job to temp job and people were looking down on me just because I'm temping and they think they're better than me because of their titles and whatever it is, it's crazy. If you really want to see how people abuse other people, it's like go be a temp in a company. Um, but I knew where I was going and I was able to connect the dots going forward because it doesn't matter what these people think about me. What matters is what I think about myself and what I know about myself because I had given myself the confidence from having that success in high school and college. Now, I'm not going to go through the second and third stories of what Steve Jobs said. You can go watch a commencement speech. I can probably talk about another episode. But I will say what he talked about here at the end. And this is the, the words of wisdom that he leaves to Stanford class. Now, remember, Steve Jobs, when he's given the speech, he's being very serious. He's not joking around. Um, he even acknowledged to them that he found out that he had cancer. And at the time, the doctor said that it was curable cancer. And um, we later found out that, you know, they didn't get rid of it. You know, so that's kind of sad. But the point is, you know, he was faced with mortality. He, you know, he thinks that it's past him. And he, in his mind, he's, he's, he's passing the torch on. He's giving something great at this commencement speech. So his tone was serious, and I think he, that's what he wanted. He wasn't there to joke around or be sarcastic. And so the parting words that he gave them um, was, stay hungry and stay foolish. So what does that mean for me? You can decide what it means for you as well. But for me, when he says stay hungry, I think Eye of the Tiger, Rocky. Rocky. Um, if you haven't seen Eye of the Tiger, I don't know, is Rocky 3 or Rocky 2? Man, I love that song. 
if I need to get motivated for working out or whatever, listening to Eye of the Tiger, there's just no way that you can feel down or not be happy when Eye of the Tiger is playing. But you have to see the movie to really relate because Eye of the Tiger is all about staying hungry. It's about staying uncomfortable. If you want to move forward and you want that progress, you need to be uncomfortable. You need to stay hungry. You can't be comfortable. You have to have the eye of the tiger because the t- the tiger is always on the hunt, right? They're looking for the kill. They're looking to, for, for that next meal. And if you look in the eye of the tiger, they just have this glare. They have this focus. They have the eye on the prize. So when Steve Jobs stays hungry, that's what he means, right? When he was um, recycling Coke bottles for five cents, he literally was hungry. I remember what it was like for hungry. I had to have somebody from work come rescue me because it was midnight. I had probably nothing to eat that whole day and there was nothing else to eat. There was no mayonnaise to eat. There was no mustard. I had gone through anything in the house and I'm like drinking water because I'm so like low blood sugar and hungry. And I ended up calling up a friend at work and woke her up at probably like one in the morning and she drove 20 miles and she took me to a diner to eat. Like I remember what it was like not to have money and to be hungry. And I'm in law school at the University of San Diego where the privileged get to go. People with money get to go and have all you can eat at the, at the school. But because I had got myself in a relationship and got off track and had to get a job for minimum wage, I no longer had the money to indulge in the privileges that these that these other students had. So Stay hungry, like that. Had, that's so personal to me, and has it, it's so much meaning. And the other thing is, stay foolish. Now, if you knew me in my everyday life, I'm very silly and I'm very playful. And although I take my work very seriously because I'm very competitive and I want to win and I take pride, I'm very serious about my work. I don't play around when it comes to work. When it's work, like my dad said, it's work. When you're working, you're working. When you're not working, you're not working. And it's like, I like to play and have fun, but I like to be really silly. And people are kind of like, wait a second, you're a lawyer. Why are you acting this way? Why are you acting dumb? Or why are you being so, you know, acting like a kid? It's because I like to act foolish because I'm serious all the time with work. The last thing I want to do is walk around and be a serious person. It's like, I just want to be the happy go lucky person and I'll be silly and I'll say dumb things and I'll watch, you know, trash TV or or movie. It's like whatever because I want that kid to come out come out of me and I don't want to just be some serious adult. Like I don't look at myself as a 51-year-old. I see people my age and I'm like they're just like they think like old people. And I just feel like I did when I was in high school. It's like when I think like maturity level, have I really matured much when I was in high school? Well, I'd like to tell you that I have, but the but the reality is not much. I mean, like I had some life experience and stuff so I can learn from mistakes, but like that joyful play, playfulness of being a kid, like that has never left me. And I've always felt a little bad or a little bit guilty because I'm like, maybe I need to grow up. Maybe I need to be like the rest of these adults that are so, you know, damn serious And that's just not me, right? I just don't conform with what everybody else thinks on who I need to be just because of my age. So when I hear Steve Jobs say, stay foolish, it's like, yeah, buddy, I hear you. Like, I'm staying foolish. Like, I'm having fun. I'm being playful. So stay hungry, stay foolish. It's like, 
I thought that was really cool and I got some meaning out of it. So Steve Jobs is not the only person to drop out of college. Steven Spielberg dropped out of college. He went to Long Beach State. He didn't go to some prestigious Ivy League school. He, I believe he wanted to go to film school at USC, the number one film school in the world. And from what I recall, they didn't take him. And um, after like, I don't know, a year or before a year, he dropped out of Long Beach State because he got into films, did his thing. And in 2001, 2003, he went back to school. Did he go to the number one film school in the world when he, you know, in 2001-3? No, he went back to Long Beach State and finished up his degree. I thought that was so cool. I got so much respect for Steven Spielberg that he could have gone to any school after he came back and he went to Long Beach State. That is like awesome. But that's a fun fact that people don't know about Steven Spielberg. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg, he dropped out of Harvard. Bill Gates dropped out of Harvard. Now, does this mean that you should drop out of college? Does this mean that you should not go to college? That's not what I'm saying. And that's not the question that you should be asking yourself about going to college or not going out of college or dropping out because these people are billionaires. So if I drop out, I'm going to be a billionaire. The, instead, the question you should be asking yourself is, what do I like? What makes me happy? What am I What am I good at? What am I curious at? And do that. Steven Spielberg followed what he'd like to do. Mark Zuckerberg followed what he liked to do. That's what caused him to drop out of Harvard. And the same thing with Bill Gates. They found what they love. And when you find what you love, you can find it in so many different places. College is not for everybody, but it's also for a lot of people. College is like 31 flavors, except for there might be 100 flavors because there's so many flavors to choose from, so many directions that you can go. It's like you get to choose what is it that you want to do? So why limit yourself to one flavor? Because you hear that you're going to make a lot of money if you're an engineer or you're, if you take this job, you're going to have security for the rest of your life. Why limit yourself to one flavor that you haven't even tried and you don't even know if you're going to like it? Like these lawyers where 43% dropped out of their firm after the first year. Sample different things. That's what college is for. Ask questions Go do internships. If Find people that are doing what you think you want to do and get as much information and sample it just like 31 flavors. Find what you like. Be happy. Chase that. For Steve Jobs, he saw some beautiful calligraphy written on school posters throughout the school. So you got to go find out what it is that you think is beautiful or what you think is fun or interesting and explore that. And, you know, getting an education is great. And Steven Spielberg had lifetime learning. Bill Gates, lifetime learning. Um, Steve Jobs, lifetime learning. For them, it wasn't in college. But for you, it may very well likely be in college and grad school. And so that's great. So I'm not here to make a value judgment. I'm not telling you to go to college or not go to college. Your parents might tell you, go to college no matter, no matter what. But that's a decision for you. All I'm saying is if you have decided that you want to go to college and you want to go to grad school, then when I create my course, which is coming soon, I'm going to give you all my secrets and all the techniques on how you can get whatever grades you want. If you want straight A's, straight B's, whatever, if you want to get straight A's and half the time on what you're doing right now to get those A's, I'm going to give those 
give those to you because you've made the decision that this is what you want to do. Well, there are secrets on how to get these grades and there are secrets on how to do it in less time. But as far as choosing what you want to do, that is for you to decide. And unfortunately, a lot of you are going to choose it because your parents chose that for you or your parents want you to be a doctor or a lawyer or dentist or engineer. And that's too bad because they might be choosing something for you that's going to make you miserable and you don't like it. I think it's better for you to choose something that you like. And that is probably going to alienate a lot of parents that are listening and say, well, I don't want my kid listening to this. But ultimately, if you pursue what you want, then you're most likely going to be successful and most likely going to make more money. And I'll tell you a quick story about a barber. I read a story about a barber and he's a barber. How much money could he be making? Well, one of the things is that this barber liked was he had a passion and love for books. Now, when people would come into his barber shop and they would sit down in the chair, he would put a book in their hands. Now, I think he was a Spanish-speaking barber and he would have books written in Spanish. Well, finding books written in Spanish wasn't an easy thing. Well, that was his love. And so if you went to go get a haircut at this barber, you were going to get a Spanish book in your hands. Well, at the end of the story, you find out that this barber ends up becoming one of the largest distributors in the world of Spanish books and became a multi-multi-millionaire because he followed his love and passion of books. You are most likely going to make more money and you're definitely going to be more happy, which is the whole key to the game, by finding something that you love and that you like. Now, if your parents are dead set that I don't care, you're going to be a doctor, a lawyer, whatever, go sample some things, go find something that you know you're going to love and make an argument to your parents that says, look, the world's different. I can pursue this and I can make more money than doctor, lawyer, dentist, or whatever. I saw some cartoon, animated cartoon, and it was, I can't, I wish I could remember all the details, but it was basically the child was born and they said something like, oh, you know, you've given birth to uh, uh, a doctor, a lawyer. And then somebody said, oh, I'm so sorry to hear that because back in the day, doctor and lawyer was the thing. There was the status symbol like, oh, I want my kid to be this. I want him to be a doctor and a lawyer. And now it's like the things have changed and now you see all these startups and entrepreneurs and I'm thinking, oh, I th maybe I picked the wrong profession because the world has changed, right? People are making millions, not being doctors and lawyers. They're making millions doing all these other things. So, you know, there's nothing wrong with being a doctor or lawyer if that's what you want to do. But the key thing is for you to decide, what do you, what do you want to do? I can't make that decision for you. Guilt might make that decision for you through your parents or through family pressure or whatever. But I hope that at the very least, you can look at school like 31 flavors, find something that you like, convince the people in your family that want something different for you, that it's okay to, to want something else and that you can still be successful in that something else. And just like those lawyers, 43% that dropped out after the first year, it wasn't for them. So why go through all that torture when you don't have to? This has been my longest podcast. And I think so far, the longest one I've done, like 42 minutes, but on average of like 25 minutes. But I think it's the longest one just because it has a lot of meaning for me because I've gone through it all, 
right? I've, I've worked for myself, have my own business. I've been a lawyer. I've gone through that grind. I got to see what it's about, what it's not about. And it's like I'm on another level of looking back. Like Steve Jobs says, you can connect the dots looking back. And in looking back, I'm able to see that there, there's there's value in listening to other people that have gone through it, like Steve Jobs, like Steven Spielberg, like myself that's been out there. And I hope that spending 56 minutes of your time, that this is going to help you to examine your life choices for school a lot more closely because you don't want to graduate college or get a job and regret that you picked the wrong thing. And if you pick the wrong thing, you're going to remember this episode called, I think I'm going to call it 31 Flavors. I haven't decided the title of the podcast because right now you have choice. And when you go into an ice cream store, maybe you don't know exactly what you want, but you're going to figure it out. You're going to look and I want this and I want this. I know basically what I want when I go to an ice cream store. So don't treat college like you're going to go there and say, I don't know what I want. That's like going into an ice cream shop and like, I don't know what I want. And you just walk out. It's just don't do that. So hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I wish you the best in finding what it is that you'd love to do because we're all counting on you. The world is counting on you to find your love and find your passion so we can all benefit from it. Take care.